Are you a double E that needs PCB assembly? Look no further than Macrofab. We've got you covered, whether you need a single prototype or high volume manufacturing, including system integration. Macrofab is your solution. Use our easy online interface to upload your files, get a quote in minutes, and order your PCB assembly without speaking to anyone. A few days later, your high-quality PCBs will arrive in the mail. Visit macrofab.com today and sign up to get started. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 177. Just a quick reminder to everyone, we are well into the Macrofab Engineering Podcast Useless Machine Contest sponsored by Mauser. Uh, the podcast, or sorry, the contest began June 1st and goes through August 10th. So just a reminder, it is still open. You can enter in your projects into that. So first place prize is $1,000. Second place is $500. Third place is $250. And there is also an additional $1,000 prize that uh, you can win by making Parker and me basically laugh. So how to enter? Uh create a useless project build an electronic project that is completely useless document it on hackaday.io and tag it with macrofab design contest colon useless machine you can find out more about the contest at macrofab.com blog and you can also listen to episode 175 where we go into a bit more detail and we announced two of our judges so far our guest judges so we have joe grand and we have charlene gonda so that's Both of which great. have been guests on the podcast. Yes. I think there's actually... No, no there's two, the two new uh, guests next have not been on the podcast yet. Oh, that, that, very, that narrowed it down a whole lot. <laughs> it's something <laughs> like 7 billion possible, you know, selections for that. Yeah. When, uh, when are we going to hear about the next uh, judge? It should be this Saturday or Friday, whenever the marketing team decides to push those tweets out. Got it. Okay, so Joe Grand and Charlene Gonda. It, this one's... I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be a ton of fun. I actually wish I could enter, but no. So I came up with another uh, <laughs> quick idea for a useless machine, um, and I think... I think, yeah, think I'm going to come up with, with ideas throughout the whole contest. Um, a fire alarm that only detects when they're uh, that only stops when there is a fire. So it's always blaring? It's always blaring, and, and it stops when it tells you there is a fire. It's a fire non-detector. Fire non-detector. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Parker, feed me. What's up? What's new? Okay, so I got those, um, those serial smart LEDs tested. These are the APA102C new 260. It actually has new in the part number, yeah. which means they're awesome, Buy me right? 260. Yes. <laughs> and I, I tested them, so I built a board that has 10 of these LEDs on it. I, it's basically an Arduino shield. I'll have to post the design files up somewhere. Um, ran through the reflow oven, and they 100% yield. What? So they How, work. It's, did you do one board of 10, or did you do multiple? I did one board of 10, and so now I'm going to be doing a whole panel, basically the LED modules that we're using for Pinotar. Mm -hmm. I want to build a kind of like a small production run, probably like 100 
uh, of these LEDs just to see if they, you know, is it going to be 100% again? Or what's the fallout at 100? And then if that works out pretty well, I'm looking at making these kind of like house parts at Macrofab. So now people will actually have an alternative to, you know, for these LEDs. You know, products. that's that's a really, this is actually kind of big when it comes to uh, the, the multicolor LED addressable lighting things, because there's just been so many problems with manufacturing them, and so many people want to use them, that mm -hmm. it's just a giant pain in the ass. So that's pretty cool that somebody's found a solution to it. Yeah, and so I don't have the APA 104s yet. Those are the basically the equivalent to WS2812s, which is what everyone uses. That's right. like the one-wire communication. So yeah. the 102Cs have serial and clock as separate things. Okay. Um, but yeah, when I got the board, the first thing I did is I put it underneath the micro, uh, microscope and started looking for cracks in the lenses, and they all look good. Like, they're clear. There's no bubbles in them. Nothing like that. Nice. So I was pretty excited. Um, so when I get the 104s, I'll, of course, test those, and then we'll push forward to a small production run with the 102Cs, new 260. Um, <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited because I have uh, right now at work, there's multiple clients that I've uh, talked to who have asked about using, well, about using the old parts. And mm -hmm. one of them sent me the data sheet for this one. And I was like, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that one. So I'm happy I, now I can send them. I should send you some of these because uh, I've got you know a whole reel of them. I can send you some for testing. Cool. And y'all's process. Yeah, yeah, actually that well <laughs> funny thing is we have the same oven that you do. So <laughs> well, different reflow profile. Yeah, sure. So and then uh next up is the Doom shitty add-on. Um it's actually in production now. Woohoo. So the prototype worked great. Um the the ST7789LCDs work great. Like I you know I had I got a whole box of them from China. Mm -hmm. Um and I tested I basically spot tested some of them. They all work great, and so we push forward with production. Um, the USB Type C uh, is used for the US, for uh, USB power and also for uh, communication because you can do a serial port over it. Um, that works well. That works in both orientations. Um, I also got the this was like yesterday. I got the AT Sam D twenty one, which is the microcontroller. I got a I square C EEPROM interface working on it. So over the shitty add-on connection, there's an I2C communication for it. And so what you can use that for is there is an unofficial, official shitty add-on uh, protocol standard for it. So where you it basically you put an EEPROM, you can put an EEPROM on your shitty add-on that's connected to it, and then you can load in some bytes to it to say, hey, this is this shitty add-on by this person and that way the badge uh, the main badge can be like oh I know what to do with this oh in case like, they I, have I some kind of like special in. embedded code or something correct um, and so I actually implemented that into the microcontroller itself and so it, it responds to that EEPROM I2C address which is like 50 I think hex 50 um, cool. so I got that working I, it's not fully coded yet it basically either works, my code either works as a read-only or a write-only. And so I just got to set up a state machine to handle those two states. And I'm using the wiring 
the, like the built-in Arduino wiring uh, library. And I don't know, this is one thing I have to figure out, is I don't know if the wire library tells you if the host is giving uh, is asking for a read or read or write because i know you know how many bytes was sent so if you go hey there's only one byte you know it's a read or a single byte read right it's like asking for information yeah it's it, that's the address is that byte right and then if you see two bytes it's the address and what needs to go in that address so you know it's a a write operation now, I want to be able to support like multiple read writes, like uh, uh, like bursts, basically. Con- yeah, consecutive. Bursts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't support consecutive, but I it supports a single right now. And if I could figure out, I got to dig more into the wiring library if it actually will let you know. Hey, the host is saying I want to write a whole bunch of stuff, and so I can put it into I can put that state machine into that mode, so to speak. So that's the next thing. It might be, I just go, uh, it doesn't support it. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd yeah. be nice to be able to support basically what that EEPROM supports mm-hmm. directly. Because it would be cool based on how I'm figuring out how to control it is like the first three bytes are reserved for one is like the maker ID who, you know, who made it. One is the uh, year, the DEF CON year, which is DC 27. And then the other one is what should he add on in that maker ID it is. So if I had multiple, like if I had a, uh, a um, Duke Nukem should he add on, <laughs> uh, it could do different things. And then everything after that is just unreserved. And so what I want to do is basically if you write a byte into some of those addresses, it changes what he does on the screen. So like ah. his normal is just going to be him normally looking around. But right. then if you like, Maybe he has like a damage address. And so as his damage climbs, he gets more bloody. Right, right. Yeah, stuff like that. You, uh, there needs to be... Wait, can you have multiple shitty add-ons per... Or is there is always just one? You can have multiples. So wait, wait. You, so it's potential that you could have it where if a Duke Nukem shitty add-on and a Doom Guy shitty add-on were attached to the same badge, they could fight. Yeah, because actually they would both respond to the same address. Right, exactly. Yeah. That would be awesome. Terrible. Who would win, Duke Nukem or Doom? Or, uh, well, I guess he's not Doom Guy anymore. He's called Doom Slayer. Doom Slayer, you're right. Yeah, Doom Guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and- uh, actually, uh, uh, real quick, I, I saw on, uh, on Twitter, I think you posted it this week, uh, like a like a three D printed jig for uh, attaching the screens to the. Oh yeah, I completely forgot boards. about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I well, I remember I 3D- seeing it because you print. Uh, there was a mistake on the first print, right? Yeah, I was half a pitch off on the um, LCD, so I was like point two millimeters off, something like that. Okay, yeah. I think I think the screen is point four millimeter pitch. Um, basically, I just flubbed with my calipers. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I three D printed a basically a, a little. I'll put some pictures up in the uh, blog in the uh, blog for this. But it basically holds the PCB in one s- section, and then the screen in another section, and it allows the the FFC or the flexi cable to be in the right spot. So you just have to drag solder across. 
Okay, so so it's it's sort of like a the the base tray of a uh, hot bar solder machine, but yes, without the hot bar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And this way, it holds it at the right distance apart because it does have to have the sticky foam and then fold around the PCB in the right, right spot. So this way, it's all nice and consistent. I hope. We'll see. Did Did you do a little cutout in the board for where the the flex cable f- folds over? No, since the board is. The, since the PCB is actually as tall as the screen, yeah, there's no spot for that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And the only reason why the board is wider is to make room for the uh, breakouts. Like all the pins for the microcontroller are broken out that are not used, so mm. you could hook it up to other things. Uh, did you use a surface mount header for for the for the actual connection to the to the badge? Yeah, actually, yeah. I use a two by three, you know, two point five four millimeter Female, header. Right? Yeah, cool. And um, it seems to work pretty well. Like I actually, I put it into a breadboard and then twisted to see if I could rip that connector off, and it just mangled the connector. Nice. So it didn't even rip it, the pads off. So Wait. I, I, I'll post those um, designs it, up. Basically, what I did is the pads are via stitched through okay. the board. So, like, they're anchored to the PCB. Oh, that's cool. And um, I could not get the connector to rip off by nice. norm- normal means. Like, I had basically had to take it and, like, with pliers and, like, twist it, like, 180 to get them to rip off the pad. And even then, it actually ripped, it actually broke the, the SAC 305 solder connection. It didn't even rip the pad off. Wow, that's impressive, actually. Yeah, so it you could I actually soldered a new connector on it and just shipped it to one of my friends who's helping me do the code. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> is, uh, so is it the is it a standard for the badge to have the male pins? The badge has the female. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because the males are the male connector is cheaper, and you I, typically I, have more shitty add-ons than badges. Oh really? I I would have I would have guessed the opposite. Uh, the badge would have the mail because it's cheaper, and people are trying to cut cost. Mm-mm. Interesting. Now the shitty Allen's need to be as cheap as possible. Well, yeah. I mean that would make sense, right? But yeah. Cool. And soon this design, I'm going to push it up on a public GitHub repo, so people can start playing around with the code and improving it. I hope because I am not the best programmer. <laughs> a- any uh, any Easter eggs? Uh, there are going to be some, uh, right now I'm not saying, of course. <laughs> well, okay. So the, in, o- in other words, yes, there are Easter eggs. There are going to be Easter eggs. Uh, yeah. Cool. Great. Um, it's probably going to be hunting around in the I square C EPROM, you know, structure. Where is it going to, you know, where's it hiding at? What address is it hiding at? Well, okay. So, uh, I guess you can sort of like, um modern day game genie it and, and pull, uh, look at a bunch of registers and uh, see if you can find the Easter eggs in there. But, you know, I digress. The, uh, so the, the fact of the matter that on our notes here, it says you can pre-order it on the and not XOR website. There's Correct. guaranteed to be uh, Easter eggs. If you order anything from there, there's Easter <laughs> eggs in it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if you go to the AnnaXR website, uh, there'll be a link on our blog, of course. You can pre-order the screen and or the uh, shitty add-on, and yeah, 
Get it before DEFCON. Or I think you can pick them up at DEFCON as well. Uh, how many in total are going to be available? Um, we are building 200 of them. So that is 200 plus two prototypes. <laughs> nice. So, um, and then to program them, because they have a tag connect on them, I designed a Atmel SWD ICE programmer to tag connect adapter. And so we've talked about these before, these adapter boards basically allow us to power and program over one tag connect cable. Mm-hmm. And so I tested it and it works. Um, and on the back of it, I put vanilla ice because ice ice baby is kind of like yeah. a super long running joke between Steven and I <laughs> at the fab. Classic. So, um, Just out of curiosity, have you... Did you see this Hackaday article? I think it was, what is it, June 13th is when it came out, so not that long ago, uh, for the SOIC bite, the SOIC bite. Uh, it's a, here, I'll, I'll, I'll. Oh, yes, 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 I've seen it. It's, it's the little programmer clip. Yeah, it's a programmer, it's like a, it's a programmer clip that basically uses a, think of an SOIC style footprint that wraps around the, the edge, edge of, the of board. a board. Yeah. And it, and it, and it kind of, it's like a chip clip. Uh, and it mm -hmm. clips onto the side of the board. I thought that was a really neat idea. I thought, it, especially as they're they're much less expensive than Tagnecks. Tagnecks are like the cables are like thirty bucks. Yeah, and those those programmer clips are like I think I looked them up to like three dollars. The order of magnitude less. Yeah. The only thing I was looking at is they don't really have at least I didn't see like a positive fixed like a way. It, like physically will latch onto it like i i envision this thing like sliding and twisting easily off mm -hmm. oh well so so it is spring loaded and and so it has it has a row of holes in the pcb that it, it like where fingers grip into the holes oh and so it actually they, has fingers and then they touch it. pads yeah so okay. so it, it it probably still can twist and rotate off but it's probably not as easy as you think well, I'm gonna. I, I I'm actually going to go and um, order some just to test them. I think. Like, yeah, this, I think on eBay they were like three bucks. Yeah, I, I want to test them. It's like, hey, is this a valid alternative to Tag Connect? And if it is, then why not use them? Well, okay. So here's the thing: Tag Connect, Tag Connect is their their programming headers already fairly small. In fact, they even declare it on their website. Um, that the actual area of the pads is about the same size as an 0805 chip component, which is true. And so they're already small, but the nice thing about this uh, SYC byte is that it's on the edge of a board and it mm -hmm. takes up even less room. Because uh, because there's a, there's a bit of even though like the actual pads on a tag connect are, are small there's still some keep out you have to do for the holes and and clips and things yep. like that um, I, I I love them I think they're great especially with the fact that if you have a uh, a module or, or something that you have to um, that has a whole bunch of crap on it and you can access it from the back you know mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you don't have access to the side of a board or it's sitting kind of flush to whatever it's mounted to. So that's a little hard for things like this SYZ bite. And, and in that case, I think Tag Connect wins. But for $3 and, and a smaller footprint, the SYZ bite 
is a, is a fairly good idea. Yeah. So I was going to give those a shot just to be, you know, I want to try everything. And if it works, then it's like, hey, you save, you know, $27. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So we bought, um, gosh, we have some, not atmelysis, what are they called? The uh, ST-Link V2. The little oh, beetle. Yeah. The white beetle. Yeah, uh, those things are junk. <laughs> so so we have some of those at work because we do uh, STM programming. And uh, we recently switched over to using Tag Connects because Tag Connects kick ass. Um, but if you have the ST-Link V2, in order to use a standard um, six-pin programming header or cable, you have to have the cable plus the adapter to go into it. The other day, I bought two cables and two adapters just to, you know, give one to the engineering team and one to our uh, production te- testing team, basically. And it, the bill was 150 bucks for those four items. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, they're proud of their stuff. The, yeah, the cables are $35, but those that a little adapter board, that's just a board and two connectors, is like 40-something yeah. bucks. That's why I build my own <laughs> adapter boards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. What about cool. you, Stephen? So I finally put the time in and got the MacroAmp Rev Two up and running, um, and up and running meaning ninety nine percent of the way there. Uh, I have one net left to route on my board, and it's ground. Uh, and I, I have an the ad- hardest one. I let, well, no, no, I, so get this. I left the hardest one, but I left an entire layer on the board wide open. So, okay. It's so are easy. you going to do a, so what kind of ground scheme are you going to do then? Cause you have a whole layer. And so for me, I would be like plain plunge done. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have to, I have to do the plunge part, but I'm not going to do a plain part. So you're doing it's a four layer design then. It is a four layer design. So actually, let, let me let me back up a little bit. So I, I I'm gonna back up a little more too. Is um okay. <laughs> actually the Doom shitty add-on is a four layer shitty add-on. Oh damn! So hardcore. I don't know of any other shitty add-ons that are four layers. Let me know in in Twitter if there are other ones. All right. And Sounds so like I need like to make a four-layer. Four, no, I need to make a. I need to make a six-layer one in like a month. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Just slap <laughs> two LEDs on it and be fine. Yeah, two LEDs and six. No, I, actually, one thing I've always wanted to do is uh, I know this is. In fact, you know, if if I wasn't a, a a guy on the podcast here, I would totally put this in as a useless device. Make either a six or an eight-layer board where you have the minimum space and trace with and each layer you serpentine a, a trace such that it consumes every ounce of the board minus the minimal amount so basically uh, using a six layer board what's the longest possible trace you could do on say a one inch by one inch board and how much resistance would that trace have and make little tiny heaters yeah make it make a tiny uh, yeah a little tiny heater or or just make a PCB resistor, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, these are the things that I think about. There's something wrong with me. Uh, okay, yeah, back to the back to the Mac ramp. Uh, so, I basically took the old design, which, frankly, not only is it working, like I actually have it built, 
And it's funny because I built it and I was like, yeah, we're going to do this again and we're going to make it better this time. <laughs> so I, I basically gutted everything and kept only the power amp, which the power amp has five parts in it. And I, I did it all from scratch again. And the reason I did it this time uh, like completely from scratch is because I actually have test data from these transformers because I actually know what the what the um, coil resistance is in these transformers now and also know what voltages they they produce. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm better able to design the power supply because I already have one available. But I also have that U-Tracer that I designed and, and made last summer. Wow. Was that really last summer? It was last uh, summer, yeah. Yeah, that was a while ago. Wow, okay. So yeah, I got the, my U-Tracer and I went this time from actual tube data. I have a whole slew of tubes here that I got a ton of test points on. And so I, I'm all while doing all of this, I'm, I'm kind of got a write-up that's going to end up on our blog about the whole design of this new U-Tracer. And I stripped things down. I got rid of a whole bunch of extra crap that wasn't necessary in the old one. And in fact, the old design had two new tubes in it. Uh, and each new tube has two sections. So it actually has four amplifying elements inside of the preamp. And what I what I really came to the conclusion was at the power amp, I only need 34 volts peak to peak in order to achieve the full maximum output. And a, uh, what's it called? Uh, a new tube can produce a gain of about 11. So divide 34 by 11, you end up with something that, doesn't require two new tube elements per preamp. Uh, so instead, I decided to go with one new tube across the entire amp. So each half services one channel each. And then I made a simple um, op amp gain stage in front of that. So you kind of get the benefit of the high input impedance of the op amp, and I can fine tune the gain and make everything work out. And it still meets the requirement of having a new tube somewhere in it. Um, the one of the downfalls of the first design is that I didn't actually have a volume control on the board. Okay. Well, the thing was like I built this board assuming that I would have an off-board volume control, like a potentiometer of some sort, or you would just control the the volume from whatever source you were giving it. Like you know, software control, like through your computer or whatever. Or if you plugged your say your phone into it, you just use the phone's volume and that would be it. So in in the new macro amp, I actually have three volume controls now. So I got a little a little tiny wanky with it. So how many how many elevens does it go to? Three? No, get this. This this is really fun. In fact, so I took a page out of um, here. I have the book right here. Let me read the title of it: uh, "Designing High Fidelity Valve Preamps" by Merlin oh, yeah. Blenkow. I remember you showing that to me, and I was like, I have no desire to read that book. <laughs> it's, look, look, this book is like five hundred pages of just like tube preamps, valve preamps, purely for hi-fi. Uh, but on Gosh, I don't remember the page number. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. Let me, give me one second. Uh, Page 323, if you have this book, you can follow along. He has a whole uh, volume control scheme for a stereo amplifier that has three rotary switches uh, that are six position each. So the middle rotary switch is a chorus um, 
switch that basically controls the volume of both of the channels together. And okay. then each one left and right is its own volume control so you can balance them if ah, needed be. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And the thing about it is I was going to I was thinking about using a dual gang pot and having one pot control the volume for both. And that that's okay, but the thing that sucks about it is those pots do most of the time do not have a spec for the uh, um, matching both gangs of the of the pot okay so yeah if you had a dual wiper yeah if you have a dual wiper the wipers aren't toleranced right they have the same value but if you put it you know at noon they're not going to both be 50 percent but with a rotary switch and one percent resistors i can be pretty close close yeah yeah and with this i can also have it it's set up where i have specific db levels so if you want to set it to a specific like volume it'll actually be that db in terms of the signal probably not actual spl coming from the speakers (laughs) but but uh still i don't know i I just thought that was fun so if you want to control the volume there's the chorus knob but if you want to balance the amp each one each channel has its own balance which is kind of cool that's kind of cool uh so and and those are i've moved this whole design to be a single pcb uh, and I want it to be such that there's no soldering or very minimal soldering to build this thing. So I'm going to have the board made by Macrofab and on kind of the border around where it needs, where all the connections are, I did have pads previously. Now there's terminal blocks. So when you connect the transformer in, you just slide it in and uh, you, you know, tighten down whatever connection you have. So the output transformers have four different terminal blocks for the um, the B plus line, which is the high voltage. You have an anode connection. You have an ultra linear tap, and then um, there's one other connection. Oh, there's the uh, output uh, speaker ground. So, so the, this whole thing kind of just drops into the chassis, and then instead of soldering things, you just slide them into terminal blocks, which is a lot nicer. So what what pitch are the uh, terminal blocks? Uh, five point oh eight millimeters. Okay, cool. I'll um, cause actually I'm gonna be up in. I mean, I don't know if if we can get it built fast enough, but if not, um, you have to use wire what, the wire ferrules. Uh, for oh yeah yeah no I I'm no I'm totally gonna crimp yeah those ferrules onto the wires and then yeah. slide them into the terminals yeah, and I picked a specific. You know, the green Phoenix contact terminal blocks, like those classic ones. But I picked them such that they have 400 volt capability, which this amp shouldn't go over 320. So, uh, so yeah, all of that's kind of done. What's, what's interesting about it is I pared down so much crap in this that, uh, the board is really sparsely populated. The, and, and that's basically the board is big, but only because it needs to be wide enough to reach all the components that it mm-hmm. connects well, to. Because it's got big transformers and capacitors on it, right? Well, yeah, and I also switched over to, um, in fact, I will hold this up to Parker. He can see it on the video. I've got um, output tube sockets with long legs. So okay. these will bolt right to the chassis, and then the board slides onto it, and then you solder them in place. Oh! So, so, so no the, wires. Yeah, no wires. No wires to the tube sockets. The tube sockets are PCB mounted. Those rotary switches are PCB mounted. Uh, so this whole thing should just like pop in as I, I, I tried to make this as simple as possible. Um, there's there's going to be a little bit of 
chassis manipulation for like a power entry and things like that because this is mains powered and you need a fuse and things and i put those off board so there will be a little bit of modification to the chassis of the enclosure you could but, uh, you should be able to put the uh high voltage on the pcb if it's sparsely populated oh i i can but i want to keep that away from those specific areas gotcha so um I want the the fuse, the power entry, and the power switch for this thing to be on the back of the entire amplifier. Gotcha. And it's gonna be. I, I need to get either a paddle bit or a Forsner bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sink them into the wood a little bit. You know, kind of offset it. A little classy. Almost. Yeah, it's a little more classy. You have to like reach into the hole to to turn it on. You know, uh, like a little toggle switch in there. And a little gremlin will bite your hand when you reach in there. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as with most of my designs, when I when I do this kind of stuff, I I what I usually do is just go into like turbo mode and do a, like a PCB layout trance, which oh, yeah. I did I did last night, and I just crushed the entire layout, and and I was like, I'm done, and I just walked away. Your eyeballs roll back, and when when they roll back forward, it's four a.m. Yeah, that's honestly, I was up till 4 a.m. last night. I'm running on two hours of sleep right now. I think I've I've had like four pots of coffee. Um, But but no, no, what I usually do is I I will just it's sort of like the old method of writing a paper where you just like regurgitate or or vomit out all of your ideas onto a piece of paper and then walk away and you come back and revise it. So that's where I'm at. I've got the whole layout done. I'm going to come back, look at it, do a review and be like, Oh God, what was I thinking and fix it all. And then, and then press that trash go over here. Also, uh, I want to actually throw a quick shout out and say thank you because this project is actually sponsored by Mauser. So Mauser is actually helping Parker and I out with a handful of these projects because um, doing all of this is a little bit difficult to self-fund sometimes. So thank you very much, Mauser. This will be a very cool little project. And um, I'm going to have a bunch of write-ups on this, actually. So there's, I've already started write-ups on the design work, so you'll get to see all the two data that I've gotten, the calculations that I went through. I simulated the the living hell out of the power supplies and stuff. So I'm going to build it and see how well all of my designs and my simulations went against it. Um, and you'll be able to read that on the Macrofab blog. And when I build the second revision, um, I'll also have a whole build um, blog about that too. And it'll probably end up on analog eng, uh, analogeng.com also. Cool. Two birds with one stone. On top of that, um, I think I'm getting the itch to do something non-audio related because I've been just been going ham on that for yeah, a while. Yeah, like the last two years. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been some things that... I mean, the, the, the U-Tracer, even though it was the end goal is audio, it, like none of it actually was audio. That is, that is true. I, I want to I get... I want to go do something a little different for our next project. So if anyone has some kind of weird ideas, let me know. What kind of ideas have you been thinking of, Steven? Um, I've been thinking about controllers for my peristaltic pump for my brewing rig. Also, I can't, even though you did this, I don't, I, you know, I don't even know if we've talked about it too much on the podcast, um, but you designed the Octoprober, which was, a device that uh, uh, monitored yes. eight separate temperature inputs. Yes. 
I kind of want to do some uh, some temperature probing of my beer fridge. Um, so maybe something along those lines. I don't know. I want to do something digital. I'm I'm kind of. You do a deca prober. A deca. Ooh, that's right. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I mean, one of the things that uh, what are the we talked about them one at one point in time. There, those really cheap temperature probes, the DS one eighty or, or I can't remember what they are. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they are the one wire. Yeah, the one wire temperature probes. Um, yeah. I don't know how many of those you can have on a single line. It would be really fun to have like a temperature Christmas tree, you know, where it was like fifty of those probes. Are they? I don't think they're cereal or. On the same, I don't think you can put them on the same line because I don't think they have addresses. Um, no, I thought I thought you could. I don't. I don't remember. I don't I, know how you would figure out which one's which. Then that's a good point. Yeah, I don't remember. But um, you know, I guess they have. They all have their own one data line out, right? So I don't know. Yeah, I'm just coming up with ideas. Or I could just pull one from the old projects list. Although the thing is, I don't want to do something. I'm kind of thinking not audio and all of the things. All the your old project projects list are, audio are audio on that list, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's do something different now. At least at least one different project. We've got the. Um, you should totally. We've got the uh, Raspberry Pi um, classes. Yeah. And you should make your your. Tweet your toilet tweeter that tweets <laughs> the, rude the insult jokes. toilet. Yeah, the insult toilet it tweets rude jokes to celebrities. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I still have to be. I, I still need to be, take that class. Yeah, and it's got to be toilet humor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the yeah. The thing that I worry about that one. I mean, I love that idea. I think that idea is is absolutely phenomenal. The thing that I worry about it is like. That kind of sounds like the sort of project that could go viral. And I don't know if I want to be known as the guy who made that. You, you know? should totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, do you want to be known as that guy? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing. I think it's funny as hell. So, no, it'd be great. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, that one's honestly, that kind of project sounds um, like you could rig that up in a on a saturday you know well no you got to make it so it can survive the bathroom environment steam heat water <laughs> it's got to be like ip it's got to be what um fully waterproof IP, you put it in the bowl yeah put it in the bowl so you, oh so you don't even see it <laughs> oh what? and even better <laughs> if you could figure out how to charge it off the water flow <laughs> and when what you do is you take these and you you secretly plant them in other people's toilets, and so you get this internet of of insulting toilets that people don't know. A mesh network of a insulting mesh toilets? network of, of insulting toilets. Oh my god, that's amazing! Now that's a bigger project. <laughs> yeah, start with one. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll think about it. I kind of want to do. I, I want to make a PCB. I want to make a, a a PCB with a processor on it. I know that's super vague, but. Um, it's been a while since I've done some firmware. In fact, I would love to do something with an FPGA. I don't know. If anyone has any ideas, tweet them at me, at AnalogENG, or I guess go to the Slack channel and yeah, Slack uh, channel. hit me up. So I don't know. Right, on to the RFO. Yeah. Rapid fire opinion. 
So last week we were talking with Nick with Biddy about there was a small segment in there about the ripeness of bananas. Yeah. And our that listeners spawned a our, lot of conversation. Yeah, like an entire day was lost. Like entire day of like 15 engineers were lost in our Slack channel because of this problem. And there's actually a research paper from 1999 on the non-destructive banana ripeness determination using neural network-based electronic nodes. And it actually has a accuracy of 90.3%. And when they say electronic nose, it's basically a sensor that's sensitive to ethylene, which is the ripening hormone in fruit. So, so, it's, it, so it just smells fruit for you all day long. It tells you when yes. it's good. Yes. Um, and they have like a chart in there that like what the visual representation of the banana was at in the data. It's an amazing uh, paper. So, you should go read it. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Why does it need all this like AI neural network stuff when it just smells something and tells you when it's like past a threshold? I don't know because it sounds like you can just do that with an if loop. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the biggest thing. Uh, biggest joke in AI is AI's when you strip off AI, it's just a ginormous if loop. Right. Like if chain. Right. If exactly, this, yeah. if that. Well, isn't that effectively all digital electronics is just big if chains? Yeah, technically, yeah. Right? Yeah. Go check that out. It's a, that, that paper is amazing that someone actually did this. And in 1999. I, the, it's been solved, people. Go back to work. And, the, and they actually had the part numbers for the sensors. Now, I haven't looked up if they're still available. Banana sensors? <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait, wait. They're looking up like VOC. They're like they were looking at, um, at basically the reason why they were using AI is because they were aggregating lots of different sensor data, and then whether or not it was ripe or not. And so, giving because it's like it's looking at like five different sensors, and so one could be if one was peaking higher than another one, then it could be ripe still, even if that other you know sensor was not in the if statement level yet, or past the cutoff, I should say. So it's more complicated than that. <laughs> but, but, but wait, okay. So ripeness isn't, and we're going to get, we're going to get goofy here. Ripeness. Isn't that like, uh, like what defines something being ripe or, or a banana being ripe? Like, is there a very specific point at which they're scientifically like the equation just says equals yeah, what's right their control yeah like well how, how do you determine that like it's just the right level of yellow and it has one brown spot and no they have a guy there that eats them <laughs> he's like yeah that one's good yeah, no. yeah there, yes, there we go no right. yeah no i got must love bananas so we got bagel pins and banana controllers or, or banana sensors right banana sensors yep yeah okay so i, I wonder what the next food-based uh integrated circuit's gonna be <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool so in this next uh rfo we we have sort of a fun little game that Parker and I came up with right before the podcast. We were kind of like perusing through electronics websites, and we noticed that even like electronics news succumbed to clickbaity uh, titles. So we found a handful of clickbait 
style titles and just put them up here in the in this RFO section. So we're going to name them and then we're going to guess what the article is about. And we haven't looked at any of the articles. We just literally just put down the names that they put out here. So this first title that we found is Need More Energy Storage? Just hit print. So when I read that, I thought it read Need More Energy Storage? Just hit pint. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you drink beer and gain storage, energy storage in terms of fat. Well, yeah, that that <laughs> totally makes sense. Like, that one's not even clickbaity. <laughs> no. That one's just like, need to get fat? Drink beer. Drink beer. <laughs> so need more energy storage, just hit print. I'm going to guess, like, copy, pasting in an EDA tool, like, for DRAM or something. Or... Or um, like uh, like uh, producing battery terminals on an inkjet printer where you can just print the terminal out onto the paper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Th- that could be cool. I don't know. It's really clickbaity, so it's probably not anything of that sort. <laughs> oh, that'd be actually kind of cool. I guess you can make a capacitor out of a printer if you could print it down some conductive ink mm-hmm. and then print it a blank paper blank sheet as your dielectric and then another sheet of printed like the whole thing right roll that up bam done right and and actually you know uh the thing about it is you could print them um each each uh layer you print with like uh, a thickening and a thin thinning uh in other words like the uh the dielectric would be wider than the copper plates that you you print down and you can mm-hmm. you could stack them and still be able to print on either side like the actual terminals that you connect to it so is it possible to inkjet print a capacitor i think it's so yeah yeah that's actually kind of cool actually wait so uh like classic inkjet printers have a black cartridge and three color cartridges right Sure. So that would allow for four separate inks that you could print. So you could you could have at least one of those be a fully conductive print and at least one of them be a fully non-conductive print such that you just keep going back and forth between conductive and non-conductive, right? Or you yeah, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Huh. I okay. wonder if that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I really oh, well, doubt it. Next one. Yeah. Next one. Go Lords for call for evidence on impact of digital tech. <laughs> what the I actually clicked on this one because I'm like, <laughs> Lords, because we're in America. And I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the thing about it is it doesn't even say where. But like, what does that even mean? Call yeah. for the evidence on impact of digital tech. The well, what? I'm going to assume Lords are very old people. Okay. Or they're, they are old people. I wouldn't say all old people are lords, but I bet you lords are old people. At least the majority of them are. I don't know. There's probably someone listening right now who's like, man, these guys are dumb. You know? Like, <laughs> well, he's a lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's calling for evidence right now. Yes. yes. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, like, they're going to have the, the stacks of paperwork and the, the Macrave Engineering podcast being degenerates is going to be like, one of the bad things about digital tech. Yeah, the, the impact, yeah. <laughs> we have a negative impact on society. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. It's the House of Lords. So, 
I'm going to bet you England is where that is at. We we found this one on Electronics Weekly. Yeah. But it doesn't say where the House of Lords of... Because I'm going to bet you there's multiple House of Lords in the world. I would assume so, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, we're probably sounding like, I don't know, Americans right now, not knowing what a Lord is. But... Some kind of... But the thing is, like... It's like some kind of government body. It's some kind of government body, but it's like... I want to bet you, even if we say it's England, because it probably is, <laughs> there's probably multiple House of Lords in the world. Yeah. And they don't specify which one it is. Sure. <laughs> well, maybe all of them are calling for evidence. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. All of them. That's why they don't specify. <laughs> but they're all doing it from their digital technology. Yes. Because I'm <laughs> reading it on my digital technology. <laughs> What about the what about the evidence on impact of analog technology? They don't seem to care about that. Well, not anymore. They used to. They oh they used, oh okay yeah. <laughs> they found that, that they damn found rock and roll. They found no no impact. Yeah, that's all it says. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next uh, next article. It's it's titled "Organic Semiconductors: One Transistor for All Purposes." Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. So it's it's pretty easy to read what they're what they're going for on the title here. One transistor for all purposes. Although, if you've ever spent even five minutes looking at transistors, like that's just a whole bunch of bullshit. Just yeah, I'm reading like, the title. Is this a transistor that's a P type and an N type? And you just like flip it upside down or something, and it you works. Just that ask way? it to be whatever. You want it to be, and it says, okay. Did you just assume that transistor's type? <gasps> I'm a transistorist. This is going downhill really fast. Yeah, real fast. <laughs> um, so what kind of technology do you think this one transistor for all purposes runs on? Is it some kind of new tech, or is it... I mean, the, some- the, 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 only, the only thing I can think of is like like a flawless, perfect transistor switch. One that is just like, it has it has infinite input impedance. It can pass 100% current with no, no resistance. Drop, yeah, no, no resistance. No, no drop. It is off at zero volts, and it is on at zero plus D... You know, DV, yeah. like one yeah, infinitesimal, yeah. whatever the DV is, it's like it. one DV is like one electron. Yeah, well, you're right. Yeah, it has one electron turns it on. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and one, what's, what, it's what's a superconductor, so it doesn't it does not get hot at all. I'm trying to think of back in voltage is potential, right? So yeah, whatever one electron potential is one 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 electron volt, right? So yeah, one electron volt is y- what you you basically throw an electron at the gate, and yeah. it bounces off and turns the transistor on. Yep. Yeah, that that sounds like a transistor <laughs> that could work for most. <laughs> cool. Um, there we go. Yep. So next one is renewable energy won't make Bitcoin green, but tweaking its mining mechanism might. So it's a little bit more specific than the last couple ones we've talked about. Yeah. Okay. So I what I can what I can guess on this is they're probably talking about 
the energy demand of running your like high end PC mining, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. So computational power to run the Bitcoin network. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess are they going on like? Is there a way that you can s- tell if your bit mining machine is running on pure renewable energy? Well, I think what this is is they're probably going to tweak the because right now you just have to throw tons of electricity at it to make this network work. Right. This is not even like mining for Bitcoin. This is like you still need to do that to like make transactions happen on Bitcoin because right. it's all distributed. And so that takes a ton of power to do right now. I bet you what they're going to try to do is tweak the algorithm or whatever that controls it all to make it more efficient, but also still t- they have to balance. They can't just make it more efficient power-wise because then you just throw more power at it. To, but they, So they have to keep the difficult, what they call the difficulty, which is like how many flops do you have to do to like make it work? It's yeah. really high. So you right. have to throw a lot of power at it to make that work. So there's going to be a, like, how do they keep the difficulty up while reducing the energy consumption? I don't know. So, so this is coming to mind right now. So uh, if you think of a processor or a, or a computer as a whole in terms of just a box that power goes in and it does something, right? The, the result of it doing That's something. Like everything. Well, yeah, but, but, but right, exactly. That's everything. But in terms of, in terms of Bitcoin, think of this. Uh, the, 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 the actual Bitcoins that you're mining are entirely invisible. They're virtual. They're just digital storage, whatever. So you dump power into this box. This box, you know, consumes that power in the form of heat, right? Unless it's, and, unless it's in uh, work. Well, right. Yeah. 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 So, so basically, in order to create this currency, we burn electricity as heat to generate yes. more currency. So is Bitcoin incrementally in increasing the temperature of the planet? I guess so. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, you it's, also, you also have to really, generate that energy, too. You don't really... So this is, this is stretching my limits of my understandings of this cryptocurrency kind of stuff. But you don't run you you don't run the mining just the mine i mean there's probably people that do but the whole idea is it's a distributed network of being able to do transactions mm-hmm. and so if i was passing a bitcoin to you it's all distributed and we basically the network of all these machines handle the transactions now those machines running their Kickback is a get part of the currency by mining it, by doing the computational work. So that's how you pay for this distributed network running is they all get a piece. The people who are actually running those machines get a piece of it. But you're right, though, is they are increasing entropy in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's my understanding that mining is maybe maybe I'm, I'm not saying this right, but but. Mining for a, a this kind of currency is your computer basically making guesses towards a number, and if you're kind of the one, the one magical one that does guess the number correctly, in in a sense, and I know this is incredibly simplified, but if you're the one that guesses the number, you've effectively mined 
some currency and it resets and restarts. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the same time, there's there's effectively like a ledger that everyone agrees on, and the ledger says Parker paid Stephen five hundred bucks, and everyone else says, yeah, I agree. Parker did pay Stephen five hundred bucks. And, uh, it's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, so all and that so ledger is distributed, right? Right, that ledger is distributed across everyone. That way, if one computer says Parker paid Stephen five hundred thousand dollars, but no one else says that, everyone can say, "Well, that's crappy. That's fraud. That didn't Correct. actually happen." So you're com- so mining for bitcoins is is both of those things, right? It's yes. you're guessing to try to actually get the currency, and you're also helping manage the ledger. Across everyone. I think that's how it works. Right. So it's it's complex and it's just, but it's also boxes burning energy doing this, you know? Yes. So I, I think what they're going to try to do is fix that burning lots of energy, but also keep the work high. So I don't know how they do that. Well, I mean, if you do that, you'd be the one of the richest people on earth, right? That's like yeah. solving everyone's like, how problems. How do you get the same <laughs> amount of work out of like a tenth the energy? Right. I mean, th- that is that is actually a, an interesting thing. Like uh, having having physical currency in your back pocket in your wallet doesn't burn extra energy, but like having trying to keep this ledger alive constantly does burn energy consistently, right? So there's That's like true. a payment to just make sure that the money stays there. Oh, you can actually use it too. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So next topic, powering devices with a desk lamp? Question mark. Um, <laughs> so what do you is think? It a desk lamp. A, so this is what I'm imagining. You go into your hotel room and there's a desk lamp with plugs in it, and you plug your phone into it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's super on the nose, right? Because that's like the only sockets in a. Ho- Why are those the only sockets in a hotel room? And they're always worn out. <laughs> yeah, they're all like, they're like plug they your charger a whole in it and they just yeah. flop out. Yeah, uh, actually, and, and you know those they look like they're manufactured with like clip-in main sockets. You know, like the, yes. those, the sockets are not like screwed into anything. They're just kind of like no, held no. They, in they just tabs. press in. They yeah. just press into the base of the the de- the lamp. Right, right, right. You know, so I, I bet you this is some kind of wanky article about like a desk lamp that has a solar panel underneath it, and then there's something oh, so for it. Tr- it uses perpetual motion of the light, the the light from the lamp hitting the solar panel and then powering the lamp and then going back up to the light bulb and back down again. Well, okay, well there's there's yeah, there's that ridiculousness, but I was thinking more of like the lamp <laughs> powers a uh, or the the lamp shines on a solar panel and then the solar panel powers your device, whatever it is. Ah. Uh, that sounds really lame. <laughs> It's a clickbait it, article. It's not. It could have to be a, awesome. It could be a lamp with a uh, like one of those inductive chargers in the base. The Qi chargers. Qi. Uh, what actually, we're talking about? Uh, yeah, it's funny because I uh, just found out that that's pronounced Qi right before this podcast because we were looking at articles and I was like, "Huh, go figure." Because I've I've actually seen a whole bunch of people on YouTube be like, I, "Yeah, I don't know what this Qi," you know. So I actually clicked it, and it's really close to your solar panel idea. Really? What is it? Yes. It is um, basically using the light scattered about your room and using special light harvester sensors, which sound like 
mirrors. A solar panel with like a prism on top. Okay. Like a dome prism. At least that's what I'm going to guess that's probably what it is. And that works. So. Hmm. Okay. Cool. It's actually interesting. Okay. And then the last clickbait article. <laughs> it's beyond one and zero. Uh, so engineers boost potential for creating successor to shrinking transistors. So are we get a two, Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> you know this is not a new, uh, not a new topic. Uh, yeah, analog computers were like all the rage back in the seventies. I want to say. Yeah, but they're they're monstrously bulky and not fast, and pretty well, much that everything. Was like the next big them. thing was going to be the analog computer. Right. Um, actually, I'm wrong. It's even earlier than that. It was the 50s and 60s. So I, I did actually uh, skim through this article because I was, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the clickbait and went into it. Um, so there, I can't remember the name of the researcher, but uh, some transistors have been developed that have. I think his name was Cho. Cho. Okay. Um, these transistors have multiple states in between one and zero, and I think it's actually there was. Two additional states. So, two it would be what point three three repeating a course and point six six repeating a course. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Leroy Jenkins transistor. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. should just be the LJ. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, but the but that's I don't know. That's that's kind of cool. Like I the 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 question is, does it just have multiple? output states or does it respond to multiple input states i guess it would have to know. have uh, it would have to respond to multiple input states like how would you produce multiple output states like what triggers a jump from one state to another state and it was interesting is um cho says that this transistor from the um outside so we're taking your the, that box that you feed it energy and it produces heat and work yeah, um, which is everything in this world, <laughs> um, right? Yeah, is if you made the silicon mat with these quad state, I guess transistors. Yeah, a the computer wouldn't know any better. It would still think that it's a normal binary thing. It's just because that it allows you to shrink, let's say, an ALU down. So instead of an ALU taking X binary transistors, it takes. Y, uh, which is less than X. Quadsisters. Uh, quad, quadsisters. <laughs> <laughs> th there's a quote that, that you, uh, you captured from this. It's pretty oh, yes. great. Um, zinc oxide combined to form a composite nanolayer, which is then incorporated with layers of other materials in the super lattice. <laughs> and it's just like that, that retro encapsulator, um, YouTube video. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right it also sounds like even even a little bit the way you said it there sounded like um, one of the more uh, intense conversations in a Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zinc oxide combined to form a composite nanolayer. What? No, Fox die. <laughs> snake, snake. <laughs> Multi-logic transistors. <laughs> Exactly. That yep. that might... Oh, no, you already got a name for the, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Yep. A lot of times while we're, while we're going, Parker will write the name 
on there. So I, I, I appear up every once in a while onto our show notes and, and yep, it was already there. Cause I was thinking hey, multi-layer uh, or multi-level transistors would be good, but no, this is going to be episode 177, the Leroy's Jenkins transistor. <laughs> <laughs> that will get all the clickbait. That's true. Yeah. How, how ironic. Yeah. How many of our listeners know what Leroy Jenkins is though? Cause that is old now. That is actually a really old, they weren't even called memes back then. No, they no, they, they were weren't they? Oh, please! They were don't. not called memes back then because that's like 2007. Uh, that is how wait. old that is. <laughs> okay, Leroy Jenkins has a Wikipedia page. Uh, oh, that's impressive. It is, isn't it? Let's see here. I'm, or a, a meme. Uh, May 2000. Oh my God, it's even er, er, older than I thought. It's 05. Yeah, May 2005. That wow. is right. Wow. That's okay. right. Because that movie, that, I say movie, because YouTube didn't even exist then. No, YouTube didn't exist for four years. No, YouTube came out in 07? I thought it came out in 09. No. Was it 7? Maybe, maybe you're right. I can't remember when YouTube existed. Founded in 05. Oh. I think it was 06 when it came out. Got it. Okay, well, still, I was in high school when Leroy Jenkins happened. Yes. Yikes. I was playing World of Warcraft when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably loved it. So actually... Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, how many of our users had no clue what Leroy Jenkins was and figured it out because of this podcast? You're welcome, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> i wonder what the highest resolution of leroy jenkins you can get is oh most of them are awful it's it's probably like 240p probably yeah yeah heavily compressed recorded on a cell phone yeah that's awesome wow look at all of these references from the wikipedia page there's so many references there's at least 24 of them. It's probably more reference than a lot of other topics on, on Wikipedia. There's a whole, like, yeah, here, here's a whole YouTube video of what is Leroy Jenkins. It's an explanation for those who don't know. <laughs> oh, so great. Yeah, that, that honestly was, that was like a, the spawn of memes, right? It was one of the well. well okay, wait, I think wait, one wait. of the first memes is like well, what we would call a meme is like the dancing baby gif. Yeah, well, from uh, Ally McBeal. Uh, that show, yes. that show back way back in the day, and and like that was back when E Bombs World and all that stuff was like a thing, Big. you know. Well, it was the only thing out there. Well, there yeah. were there was Fark. You remember Fark dot com? No, I don't actually. Fark, I know yeah. e-bombs. Fark was like e-bombs. It was just an aggregator of weird stuff. Uh, well, I mean, it's tame by today's standards. Standard. <laughs> like, but back then, that was the stuff that was like, yeah, you were you were like underground if you went to e-bombs world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's probably good for today, don't you think? Yep, so that was the Macafab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. And at least I had chicken. Leroy Jenkins. Later, everyone. Take it easy.
Thank you, yes, you are a listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or meme, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer with no O's, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps this show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. Please review us. Please. I read all our reviews.